0: Hello, everybody. This is Tim Green with Rattle Magazine, and this is your Rattlecast, episode number 7. It is uh, September 3rd, 2019. Uh, on the line already, we have Kim Dower, um, great poet and author of her newest book, Sunbathing on Tyrone Power's Grave. Um, but first, I wanted to let everybody know that we do have an open mic, like always, at the end of the show. So, um, uh, we have about, I think, seven people lined up pre-recorded. But if you'd like to join us live, that's the the best part of it. Uh, All you have to do is call in on Skype. And to do that, um, get your Skype app on and send a chat message to me at Rattle Poetry over Skype. And after we're done with Kim, I will call you back. Um, We always like to start out with sort of a warm-up poem. And this week, the newest issue of Rattle is out. Uh, Rattle number 65 just arrived in my mailbox on Saturday. Um, so I thought we would read maybe a poem from the newest issue. The The issue features an interview with uh, Kwame Dawes and a tribute to African poets. And um, I thought I would read just a short poem because because uh, Kim Dower's poems are, are mostly free verse. So I thought maybe we'd start out with a, with a warm-up poem as a sonnet. And this is by Jamie Hecht. And this is called Don't Speak. When you hate what you've done... That's guilt, if you hate what you are, that's shame. When she's gone because you sang some Brahms in a bar, what you have there is focused regret. If they leave you because you are still not yourself, new med's not working yet, and you, Shakespeare in public, you will never be abnormal, whatever that you will never be normal, whatever that means, and they praise you and thank you and cry as they go. And the new psychiatrist weans you off the old drugs as we might want to try whatever the sales rep is repping that week. If they leave with I love you, don't speak. That's Jamie Hecht. And I wanted to mention Jamie Hecht because he has a um, his own YouTube show, which I just found out. He's just starting out. So uh, just Google Jamie Hecht or, or search on the YouTube for Jamie Hecht. I think it's called Blank Verse Trance." Trance, I think blank verse trance is what it's called, and um, he reads a, a blank verse poem every little episode. And I think we'll have to have Jamie Hecht on soon because um, he is in the current issue. So, um, as I mentioned, our poet today is Kim Dower, and Kim's been published in Rattle uh, many times. She's been, I think, starting around 2011, we've published her maybe six times. I'm just making those numbers up out of thin air, I really have no idea. Um, But Kim Dower um, is really one of the poets who sort of embodies what Rattle tries to do, which is storytelling and sort of making the magic out of life uh, come alive through poems. Um, Kim Dower is originally from New York City. Uh, She's the author of Sunbathing on Tyrone Power's Grave, which is a book that just came out from Red Hen Press. But she's also the author of Air Kissing on Mars back in 2010, uh, Slice of Moon in 2013, and Last Train to the Missing Planet in 2016, um, I thought maybe I'd read the uh, just the little blurb on the back because this really gets to the heart of what uh, Kim Dower's poetry does. This is Chris Krause, the author of I Love Dick, and after Kathy Acker. By turns exuberant, sexy, and sobering, Kim Dower's remarkable poems are known for their extraordinary range. This fourth collection finds her at the top of her game. Attuned to the oddness of the quotidian and ground, grounding the metaphysical and the sharp sensations of daily life, the poems in sunbathing on Tyrone Power's grave invite us to live as fully and generously as the poet herself. And let's bring her in now. Uh, this is Kim Dower. Uh, hi, Kim. Uh, you're on. Can Everybody can see you and see? Hi.
1: Hi. <laughs> hi. hi, Tim. How are you? I'm
0: great. It's, uh, it's good to see you there.
1: It's, it's great to sort of be looking at my computer. I see a little picture of your face. And, um, you know, Skype, it's probably harder for me to have done this than to have ever written a poem. But here we are. Well, here
0: we are. And, and um. we're learning, you know, we're all learning how to do this together. If you've watched previous episodes, I have, this is episode number seven. And I haven't yeah. done an episode yet without majorly screwing something up. Like either my mic is off the whole time and I talk for like five minutes when no one can hear me or I don't even come on the air or, you know, so, so this is a work in progress. It's just a casual way to hang out with, uh, with the poets. But, but this is a great example though, because you didn't have Skype, um, and you've never used it before and you had no, no idea what you're doing. I think it was your daughter that was helping you uh, set it up, right? No, yeah, but it
1: was was a, a young helper a young helper well
0: yeah but the point is that you didn't know how to and you look great on Skype and um, and everybody can hear you and we can hang out and read some poetry so um,
1: wow yeah I feel like this this is the future it really
0: is I mean, like right yeah. now we already have I think uh, 15 people are watching which is about as wow. many as we'd have at a regular poetry reading and people can watch this forever after the fact while they're driving <laughs> in their car <laughs> yeah, don't get nervous though don't get nervous um, so no, I'm, I won't. <laughs> oh, one thing I forgot to say, uh, um, if you're going to read a poem from um, Sunbathing on Tyrone Powers' grave, uh, let me know the page number so I can put it on screen for everybody to read live. Oh, okie
1: okay, dokie. Okay. Yeah.
0: Um, Great. So do you want to start out just with a poem for now to sort of kick it off and then we'll talk a little bit about, about life and poetry?
1: Uh, yeah, sure. Um, I picked so many poems, Tim, I don't even know. I there's, There was a poem I want to read for actually for Catherine who helped me figure out Skype yesterday and uh, we the two of us like to go to Erewhon and get our lunch because it's very healthy and uh, I wrote a poem that's in sunbathing on Tyrone Power's grave called Unruly Aura that's about going to Erewhon but actually in Slice of Moon which came out a couple of books ago I had my first Erewhon poem and I'd like to read that one um, it's before they got their act together. I probably shouldn't say this on Skype in case this goes on YouTube. I love Air One, but um, this, this, uh, this poem is called The People in the Health Food Store, and um, it was written about, I guess, four or five years ago. The people in the health food store don't look healthy, which is why they're here. I'm here to get some carrot chips craving crunch Flavor, after visiting my mother at the home, where flavor only appears in faint whiffs of memory. Where people in wheelchairs suspiciously eye the applesauce on their trays, delivered by chubby nurses in red scrubs. Pictures of ponies or baby elephants stitched onto pockets that contain their syringes and keys to the lounge. The people in the health food store look dirty, wear spandex, have spaces between their teeth, prowl the aisles of natural supplements, inner peace, Ola Lola energy drinks, so only the other losers will die, not them, not after they cleanse their bodies of all impurities, destroy lingering negative thoughts. What if my baby never learns to talk? What if I suddenly forget how to walk? What if the earth sucks me deep into hell, like the hell my mother lives in, where when I visit, she asks me, who put me here? When did this happen? It was only yesterday she sipped martinis on the rooftops of Manhattan, so it's no wonder... I run for the health food store, fill my basket with miracle cream to rub in every pore, stock up on wrinkle warrior by a year's supply of brain enhancers. So when it's my turn to stare out the window wearing floral pattern, daytime pajamas, I'll remember who I am, who I was, who I once loved. So I wrote that when my mother was in a nursing home, and um, now she's passed away a few years ago, and the poems have changed in a lot of ways, and I wrote a poem about that same health food story that's in Sunbathing on Tyrone Power's grave, so um, if you want to hold that, if you want to show that one, Tim, it's on page 20.
0: Yeah, I've got it, thanks.
1: And this poem is called Unruly Aura. Uh, And um, the store has a very different feel these days. So unruly aura. The cashier at the health food store tells me I have a beautiful aura. Wait, I tell her. If you want to see a really beautiful aura, wait until I've taken my Renew Life Ultimate Flora Probiotic. After that, my aura will knock your socks off. She smiles at me and rings me up. My money has a beautiful aura, too. My dollar bills float out of my pink wallet. The man behind me swells from the heat I generate. Each step I take brings me closer to God, the final, fabulous aura. Take my hand, I tell her, squeeze my aura. It's hungry. And looking for someone to devour.
0: Well, thanks, Kim. That was a great, great pair of poems. It was really cool to read. Yeah, you also can't hear any applause, but people are applauding all over the world right now. <laughs> um, it's it's true; they are. Yeah. We have uh, people yeah. listening in, in the UK. A bunch of people from the UK today, actually. Wow, um, isn't it all over the place? Nice? I know, but wow. but they're up. Um, wow. So that's a great kind of segue to um, you know just your work in general because it's it, it, it seems like most of your poems start with some real life experience um, you know I, I imagine that that really happened at the at the store did it
1: you know. uh, yeah well the, the the second poem happened mm-hmm. um, that happened so you know as I'm sure most of your listeners right now are poets themselves, so we all know kind of what makes a poem happen uh, and for me it's uh, often something that just happened you know an experience i just had that moved me that i thought was funny or sad or some emotional experience that i had um sometimes it's a headline i'll read in the newspaper will give me a prompt uh sometimes it's a a dream Mm -hmm. that helps me make a poem uh but that particular thing did happen. And I thought it was funny because I'd written about that store a few years back Mm -hmm. (laughs) when I was in a very different, I don't think I had a very good aura when I wrote that first poem.
0: Well, you definitely do now. Um, But the the great thing about that is that, that reading the book, it feels like, like it's sort of teaching everybody who reads it, how to notice life uh, more, Mm. more fully, you know? I mean, like there are all these moments that we have every day, and and one of the things that poetry does is appreci- is teach us to appreciate and notice. I think you know poets, poets are really noticers, and um, mm-hmm. and I sort of think you know after reading your book, I I want to notice the moments like that, which which do happen throughout the day to everybody. I think, and and they're really like every sort of every moment of life is that magical that it's deserving of a poem in an interesting way. And um, so I sort of, there's a sense of, you know, a lot of poetry, um, a lot of books are sort of downer kind of books, but you have a lot of humor and then you have this sense of of noticing the world that makes me sort of feel more alive after reading the book, which is why I love all four of your books. So I'm glad another one came out.
1: Well, thank you, Tim. I, I really appreciate that. Um, and I think that, you know, people talk about writer's block, and uh, what you said is true, that a poem just expands a moment. It uh, If you can see things, and if you have, I have sort of a quirky way, I guess, of looking at the world, mm-hmm. um, but it's, if you just record what you see, there's a poem there. Mm-hmm. And, um, I mean, I wrote, I wrote a poem just about parking my car. Do you want to hear that? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so I think also that uh, certain things have greater meaning for certain people. I mean, for me, I didn't learn how to drive until I was 25 because I grew up in New York and we didn't didn't need to to drive. But um, so I still I'm still amazed every time I turn on the ignition because it's like I can't believe I'm actually maneuvering this machine. So parking has always been a uh, A challenge for Mm -hmm. me. So I wrote this poem called In the Moment, which I guess is what poetry is all about, is being in the moment. I just parallel parked exactly right for the first time ever. Maybe because I wasn't imagining a tsunami killing me on Sunday in Laguna, or thinking about my mother alone at home, or when I dropped the puppy off the patio. She was fine. I never recovered. But today, windows down, no radio, just sky, steering wheel, and my hands were one. And backing into the space, feeling my tires hug the curb, was a clean slide into home. That rare fit of perfection was upon me. And let me say right now, I didn't waste it. So there's a poem about nothing, basically. Mm-hmm. But uh, <laughs> it's so odd when you you've, I finish reading and it's just quiet. I feel like I'm in my room just like re- you know, playing entertaining myself, reading my poems.
0: Yeah, well well that's a good way to think of it, maybe. You know you know, poetry is sort of the most intimate form of art, I think. And um there's nothing more intimate than being alone reading your poems to yourself, I think. So maybe <laughs> maybe that's a good yeah, fit. I've
1: done that. <laughs> done that but, well there's a, there's a um, first
0: time for everything <laughs>
1: yeah here we go so so what should i do now tim till- oh, why
0: don't you read like like a set of poems like you know oh. maybe you know three four then we can talk some more maybe about them or about poetry or you know I'm, I'm there's a lot of stuff i'm always curious about so we could talk a lot too but this is a mostly a reading so let's talk let's uh read three oh, right. poems.
1: okay all right, I'll read some poems. Well, you know, I know that um, I'm going to be doing a class for you at Wrightwood, and uh, at the end of the month, and I'm going to be teaching something called uh, poetry and dreaming. Mm-hmm. So, a lot of my poems come from dreams, which is uh, which is a great pleasure because I'll wake up in the middle of the night and I'll write the dream down, or I'll run to my computer and mm-hmm. I'll just write what I remember. And then in the morning there's uh it's like a little gift is waiting for me um because I forgot and there's the making of of a poem. We're gonna talk about that when, when I teach that class and we're gonna keep dream journals. But uh I thought maybe I'd read a few poems from dreams. Yeah, that sounds great. And um so I wanna read up a, a very old poem that's in my first book, Air Kissing on Mars because it's one of the first poems I ever wrote uh, directly from a dream. So this poem is old, but I still like it, and uh, it's called Even in a Dream. Ray Ronsey tried to murder me, came after me with a gun. I hadn't seen him for 30 years. We parted friends, but there he was. Telling me he was going to kill me, drove over in a Honda with two friends all pale, him so serious I escaped, but he came back later, his small black gun, covered by tissue, like that would hide it. I saw it, put my hand over the hole like that would stop the bullet, like I could stop the days or leaves from slipping down the drain pipe falling as fast as Ray Ronsi's hair. I could see even with his gun, even in a dream that he'd lost hair. Did he see my eyes were not as clear as they once were? It was Saturday when I had the dream. Two more days had fallen. He didn't shoot me, but his beard was ashen as he took me to my bed where we lay together in silence. The phone kept ringing. So when... When I wrote that poem and realized the power of dreams, uh, it was very exciting to me. So I, I do often tap into to my dreams for a poem. Uh, so this one is from my new book, Sunbathing on Tyrone Power's Grave. It's on page 25, if you want to, uh, to show that poem. The dream poems, uh, I, I noticed the dream poems rarely have punctuation because they come in sort of a flurry and I don't want to stop the pace of them because like dreams, they just keep moving from one image to another. Um, This poem is called, What It Means When You Dream You Bought a Red Cadillac and it's on page 25. And um, this actually, someone told me about a dream that he had. He dreamt that he bought a red Cadillac, and I kind of tried to morph his dream and think. I used it as a prompt, like, what does it mean if you dream you bought a red Cadillac? It means your face is on fire. It means your hands grab anything that moves. It means you want to be kissing her scarlet knees. It means you want one bloody, shrieking, crimson, haunted wish to finally come true as you speed past your blindfolded childhood, drive until your life, finally works. It means you want to ride so fast, so smooth, you'll glide into home right through your front door. No questions asked. It means your inflamed dream is racing you into the future where naked people are waiting to greet you, embrace you. They're lined up to jump inside the passenger seat. It means your headache will recede into a night of fingertips easing the pain your back drenched against the leather cherry colored ignition blush like your first hot wheeled crush energy pulsing, feet solid on the pedal, touch your hands ten and two o'clock like they taught you back then when all you cared about was her skirt riding up over your cool hand, slap her thigh, it hurt to look her in the eye, one kiss to last all summer. So it's not a good idea to steal someone else's dreams because, you know, you never know what will happen, but um, but you get some good poems out of it. Yeah, you do. Uh, so, again, this, uh, this is from Sunbathing on Tyrone Power's grave. It's on page 17, and it's called He Said I Wrote About Death. Uh, this, this book is dedicated to my first poetry teacher, uh, whose name is Thomas Lux, and I'm sure all of your your viewers know who who he is, who he was, a great poet, a great teacher. And uh, I would often send him some poems, and I sent him this this manuscript before it was published, and he said, "You know, Kim, you're writing about a lot darker things than you used to, and there's a lot there's a lot of death." in these poems. And it kind of upset me to hear that um, because I didn't really think I did write about death. And I went to sleep that night and I had a dream about this bird and I woke up in the middle of the night and I wrote this poem for Thomas Lux. He said, I wrote about death and I didn't mean to, this was not My intent I meant to say how I loved the birds how watching them lift off the branches hearing their song helps me get through the gray morning when I wrote about how they crash into the small dark places that only birds can fit through layers of night sky pipes through drains how I've seen them splayed across gutters Piles of feathers stuck together by dried blood. How once my car ran over a sparrow, though I swerved. The road was narrow, the bird not quick enough, dragged it under my tires as I drove to forget. Bird disappearing part by part. Beak, slender feet, fretful, hot. I did not mean to write about death, but rather how when something dies... We remember who we love and we die a little too. We who are still breathing, we who still have the energy to survive.
0: Well, thanks Kim, that was excellent set of poems there. Um, let's talk a little bit about why you got into poetry. Um, you know, cause it seems to me, you know, why did you become a poet? I'm always curious about that question. When did, when did that happen?
1: You know, I, I don't. I hope this doesn't sound pretentious, but I, I don't think you become a poet. I think you sort of are are a poet, or you're not a
0: poet. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when did you realize I, that?
1: I didn't become. Well, you know, when I was little, I, I, um, I used to love poetry. I used to love being read to. My grandmother was Russian, and she had. She memorized all of Pushkin and I didn't know what she was talking about or what she was reciting, but she would she would recite these poems to me that I didn't understand, but they were so beautiful and musical and I loved I mean even to me Dr. Seuss's poetry. it's whimsical, it's rhyming, it's fun. Uh, i I loved all of his books. I loved a, a. Milne. I, so I I read and copied these things when I, was, when I was very little and would force my dolls to, uh, to listen <laughs> to me read to them, um, which I hope they got over. <laughs> I wonder where my dolls are, actually. I, I had a lot of them. But anyway, so, um, and then I started writing uh, poetry when I, you know, in sixth grade, junior high school, But really for myself, you know, as we all do, Mm -hmm. you know, keep journals, we write poems. uh, And that was that. It was when I went to college uh, and I was a freshman at Emerson. And again, Tom Lux was uh, I took a class called Introduction to Creative Writing Poetry, just thinking it sounded fun. And maybe maybe I had already written poetry and I think that he proclaimed everyone in the class poets. Uh-huh. <laughs> he said, "You're all poets," and I think that's really important. You know, when a teacher, when mm-hmm. someone you admire, tells you you're a poet, maybe that's when I became a poet. Yeah, yeah. As you as you say, and um, he said, "You know, your job is to go out into the world and record what you see, and show it in a way that hasn't been shown before." Mm-hmm. And that's sort of always been my my goal. And that's what I tell students. We need to record what we see in a way that we've never seen it recorded before. So, Uh Did I answer your question, yeah, too? Yeah, you definitely did. Okay.
0: Um, I was wondering, too, do you think that, because um, you write so much about dreams and you teach this dream writing course, I think, um, where did you where did you teach that usually? Not the Wrightwood Literary Festival, but in general. I teach it
1: at Antioch. Antioch,
0: that's right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So do you think that what poetry does mostly is translate dreams into reality? Do you think that is what poetry does?
1: Um. Sometimes I, I think that it can uh, when you take a dream and you make something cohesive out of it. I mean, mm-hmm. a, dreams by themselves don't mean anything.
0: Oh, that's interesting. Uh,
1: you know, we can go and a therapist can help us interpret a dream mm-hmm. or what does it make you think of or what, uh, you know, who, who does it remind you of. A dream can unlock something going on in your conscious world, um, you know, everyone has different theories about what dreams are, what they do, how they inform us. Mm -hmm. Um, they definitely take all the different anxieties we're feeling throughout the day and toss them around, which is what a dream, what a poem does also. It, it tries as, as we know, to make order out of chaos in our lives. So, A dream tries to make order out of chaos in our subconscious. So if we take those images and try to order them, I think that a lot of poetry, if it comes from dreaming, will take a dream and make a poem from it. But our job is to take that dream and have it be something others can read and get something out of, Mm -hmm. not just our own images. But uh, poems are also made of things that aren't dreams, um, as you said before, a lot of poems are made of things that we see or we hear or we try things we're trying to understand and those aren't dreams. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're you know, as you have in rattle, which is such a fabulous opportunity for poets, rattle uh, poets respond and that's where poets send in very new work based on something that that they've they've heard. That week, and that's a that's a great opportunity to deal with impossible situations. Uh, that's not a dream. Mm-hmm. Those are horrific, you know, shootings, murders, fires that poets try to make some sort of sense out of. And I think for me, if I can ever make sense out of anything that's hard to imagine, I've done a really good job that day. Mm-hmm i've done my work um and uh, you know i've written a lot of poems about personal things uh, an accident my son had years ago that just was impossible for me to understand and i wrote a poem about it and i have there's a wonderful as a matter of fact you have her in the new issue of rattle laura kasishki oh yeah mm-hmm. um who is just a magnificent poet she was a great teacher, and I brought that poem into this class at the Palm Beach Poetry Festival. And it was in tercets. And she said to me, You know, you've put the poem into tercets, which is three lines, uh, stanza break, three lines each, to make order out of this impossible situation. And that's part of also what a poem will do, is by the way that you break the lines, that is helping to order these thoughts. That are very difficult. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Um, do you want to read some more? More In, in a second. Uh, first, let me, just so you get that feeling that people are here watching. Um, y Puerta says, uh, says that last poem you read was quirky and profound. And uh, Michelle Lales uh, says we die a little too. I love that. Um, so if you're, uh, if you're watching live on YouTube, you can chat and send messages to Kim and ask for any questions you have. So please go ahead and do that. Uh, but you want to read a few more poems, Kim?
1: Uh, sure, I would love to. Um, so there's a poem I wrote for my father. And this is one of those poems, again, you know, different poems come in different ways. Some of them just pour into you. You know, Anne Sexton used to say, we don't write our poems, God writes them. Uh, and religious or not, I know what she's talking about. Anyone who writes poetry knows what she's talking about. Uh, the fact that a poem can come through you and you don't even know where, where it's coming from. This poem is called Thirst. It's on page 22 of um, Sunbathing on Tyrone Power's grave. My father never saw my house, though without his modest savings we never could have bought it. My father didn't know his grandson past the age of 10, but today at 28, my boy has his eyes and many of his talents. My father died thirsty. We couldn't fill his needs. No one could. He had a big personality, my mother would say. Sucked the air out of a room, needed you to pay attention to his every word. A wall of talk we wanted to jump over. My father could tell a good joke, do the accents, had the timing. Why wasn't that appreciated? He could sell anything, untangle a knot out of the most delicate chain His stuff looked nice, his paintings framed. He'd serve pats of butter on a dish, restaurant style. Our people leave us and we let them go. They fade into the tapestry of the dead, an occasional memory slapping us in the face, tapping us on the shoulder, kissing the breeze by our cheek. We wait for the wind to blow these reminders like it did for me today, Just now, in my garden that he never saw, but would have loved. Even though my roses are struggling, their white petals dropping, so thirsty they are, so ready for a drink. Um, You know, I'll read a summer poem. Uh, I'm not sure I ever read this at a reading. Um, it's also from from Sunbathing, it's on page 30, it's a skinny little poem without any punctuation, and uh, I think of it as, as a summer poem. It's called Townies. Townies don't talk as much as city boys. Their arms are bigger. They can drive a stick. They don't care about restaurants or perfume. They like to do it all the time, anywhere. They have things they keep in boxes, like old snake skins or buttons from swap meets. I loved one once. He liked to do it in my parents' summer cottage when they were out getting vegetables. He'd scoop me up like a fireman, saving my life, tossed me on the calico print couch, damp with salt air. My ass burned from rubbing against the coarse fabric. He gave me a hickey the size of a heart. I watched it fade like the sunset as I took the ferry back home. Well, I grew up in New York City, so I would go... To Connecticut or places by the shore for the summer. So um, there, here comes townies. So, um, so then Tim, you get a surprise. A poem comes from nowhere again, nowhere, and um, this is a tiny little poem on page twenty-seven, and it strangely gets a bigger reaction. You know that sound people make at a reading, the ah, oh, like, ah, oh, which sounds so good when you're reading. It gets that sound. And and people think, you know, poetry is autobiographical. It's not always autobiographical. Here's a little poem on page 17 of Air Kissing. Whoops, I mean Sunbathing. I get my books confused. This poem is called She's never trusted happiness. Maybe it was something her mother said one morning as the young girl dipped her donut into a glass of whole milk, powdered sugar still on her lips. Her mother tells her, don't get used to this. I never had donuts at home. My mother wouldn't have said that to me. And I really just don't know where that came from.
0: That's really interesting. Uh, Kim, Kim Sinnow says that was one of my favorite poems, Kim. I'm not sure if that was uh that poem or the one before And Mr. Wamble says the flowers were thirsty like her father. Beautiful. So that was the poem before, but, um, yeah, so so we have a lot of watchers. So so keep going. Let's do a few more poems.
1: Um, okay. Well, uh, I'm gonna go to an older poem. Okay. This poem is actually in uh, in rattle.
0: Ah. Which issue? Maybe I can grab it really quick.
1: Um. It's it's called How was your weekend? Um. It's from Slice of Moon, which means. Um, The book came out in twenty thirteen, so maybe this was in Rattle in twenty eleven or twenty twelve. But I'll tell you why I'm going to read it. Um, I I I like this poem a lot, and we just came off a long weekend. If I take drink water, will people see? Anyway, I'm always afraid. I'm I'm always afraid it's going to spill all over my face or something embarrassing. you know, every, another way poems come, we've talked about dreams and um, headlines and things. But when people say things sometimes, people say things to me, it immediately makes me think of a poem. And, you know, we're all asked constantly on Monday morning, how was your weekend? Um, and I, I wrote this poem after uh, going to, for an exam at a doctor's office uh so i feel like reading this it's called how is your weekend how is your weekend the lab technician asks me as she sticks the needle in my vein routine physical blood rushing up the tube as if being chased out of my body fine i tell her all good really good did some things saw some people ate out Got rid of shoes I haven't worn in years, craved ice cream but had no one to go with, so I went by myself, embarrassed, ordering mint chip cone all alone in the middle of a Saturday, got over it when I took a bite, euphoric, no longer caring that my son was too old to take for ice cream. Wrote a letter to my dead mother, but couldn't read it at her grave because we cremated her, so I read it sitting at the kitchen table, a photo of her propped up in front of me. Sounds amazing, she said, my blood still flowing up the tube, new one now as I'd filled up the first. Where will they send my blood? And how do they test for all the things they test for? And what if they discover I have one of a million diseases one could have, something to confine me to my bed for as many days, weekends, as I have left on this earth? Or what if they find nothing? Will I start to take pictures of my food like a friend of mine does? He takes pictures of what he's about to eat. what he puts in his body so if something goes wrong he'll know it was the yellow tail swimming in lime sauce or the ginger sorbet with one proud blackberry perched on top he keeps files of photos so he'll never forget what he tasted what filled him I want to taste the blood being drawn from my arm wonder if it would taste the same as my mother's What did you do this weekend, she asks, forgetting she already asked. I had an ice cream cone, I tell her. Took a picture of it before it started to melt. Licked a drop of blood, still warm from my new cut. Read a letter to my mother at her grave.
0: That's a great poem uh, from issue number 38 for anybody who's watching at home. Um, and and that was a Rattle Poetry Prize finalist, too. I forgot about that.
1: Yes, it was very exciting, Tim. It was a very exciting moment for me. And people who, who have read that poem never, ever, ever ask me how my weekend was. No, I bet not. <laughs> no. So... Um, Here's a poem about nothing. Uh, Again, it's actually uh, uh, for Tom Lux, but it's one of those poems that, um, you know, some poems about nothing are better off not being poems, and then sometimes you write it and you think, okay, this, this might make it into the poem world. So I guess you guys can judge for yourselves, but... It's called Searching for Your Photo. Um, After he passed away, there was a, a magazine that wanted poems and memories about him and also photos. And there was a photo I knew I had, and I couldn't find it anywhere. So I wrote a poem called Searching for Your Photo. I look through every box, crammed with my son's old baby pictures, family trips, soccer teams. All I want is to find that photo of you. There were a few. That time in Boston when you and the others came to visit. Charles Hotel, early 80s. You were wearing that dumb earring. Even now from beyond, you'd call it dumb. You who were once so young, young until the day you were no longer "'The diamond stud must have seemed cool. "'I wanted to find that photo. "'You laughing, sitting on the couch. "'We'd all been drinking. "'It was fun. "'The only poetry was in our hearts. There was just "'This was just a visit. "'You were no longer my teacher, "'now a friend from the past. "'You called me fruitcake and dummy, "'so I knew you still cared. "'Me, your student, from long ago.' I wanted that picture to show the world you being silly. We were probably telling bad taste jokes, all of us stupid, all of us together on the couch. So it's always nice to have a prompt. And um, back in December of 2017, I don't know if your listeners or viewers will, will recall, but the CDC, the Center for Disease Control, um, banned, were banned using seven words. The Trump administration banned them from using seven words. And the seven words are fetus, transgender, science-based, diversity, vulnerable, entitlement, and evidence-based. So there's fabulous website. Well, you know Sarah Freely. Um, She's I'm sure she's been in Rattle. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a bunch. And um, she's wonderful. And she had uh, she put up on her website, I guess it was that they were wanting poems that used all seven words that were banned. So, uh, I thought that was a great challenge and a lot of fun, and I wrote this poem. It's in Sunbathing on Tyrone Power's Grave, page 71, if you want to show that poem. Um, so, I, I hope everyone remembers the seven words. And the poem is called I Am My Own Transgender Fetus. <clears throat> My mother thought I was a lesbian when I came home from college, wearing a flannel shirt fresh from a march across the Boston Common. The 70s. No entitlement back then. No transgender friend. We all hid inside our sleepless nights, smoking fat joints of science-based conclusions, rolling out our private stomach aches, watching evidence stack up higher than we could see. I feel so vulnerable tonight, hungry for diversity. Where is my entitlement? I am my own transgender fetus, floating in a tank with no borders, banging my soft, unformed skull into the glass ceiling, seeking any spray of light as our world rolls backward over a grassless hill of mutant crickets, Button up your collar until your mouth is invisible, all evidence-based, science-based, beautiful womb face lips erased. Who doesn't care? Who doesn't crave a chance to say banned words, hear their echo like vapor stain the wall of our lives? Our slurred speech aching for clarity. So that was a great prompt.
0: Um. <laughs> uh, let's take one one more break for a little discussion. Um, um, where was it? Uh, Mr. Wamble wanted to know on, on the chat um, uh, which poets inspire you, if any.
2: Well,
1: I, I want to know who Mr. Wamble is. Uh. That sounds like is that <laughs> a real. It's name? Mr.
0: Wamble s- spoken verse. So it's it's who, somebody's uh, you know YouTube handle.
1: Oh. Interesting. Um Oh, which poets inspire me? Well, I've got I've got the dead ones and the living ones. Um you know, I was very very inspired from the from the beginning by the surrealists, um André Breton, the, the the dead ones and then the ones that I read who were alive and well back back in those days, Thomas Lux, James Tate was a huge inspiration, Bill Knott, Um And I also was greatly inspired by two completely different poets, um, Frank O'Hara and William Carlos Williams. They both spoke to me in different ways. Frank O'Hara, because I come from New York, and obviously he was a real New York school of poetry, uh, he used to say a good poem was like a good phone call. You know, you should just be able to pick up the phone and you should just be able to write a poem. And I think lunch poems were a great inspiration, uh, the poems that he wrote during his, his lunchtime. Uh, and then uh, Erica Jong was one of my great inspirations. Hers was the first book of poetry that anyone ever gave me, actually. Um, Todd Lester from the fourth floor, and I was in the sixth grade, and he gave me Fruits and Vegetables, which, uh, which I adored and still have that original copy of. Um, so she was a great inspiration. Then as the years went on, I, I think um, you know, Kim Adonisio is, is an inspiration, and um, Sharon Olds, and um, no, let me think, who am, I, who am I leaving out? There are so many poets that I love.
0: Yeah, that's the problem with listing is that you always, you know, there are always so many more that you end up leaving out. Were you, were you a student of Kim Adonizio's Bunny Chance? No, no? I,
1: I I, wish I had been. I yeah. wasn't. I I adore her work. Well, you might and... not have
0: seen, but we're doing an issue. Uh, it's a new sort of form of of theme we're doing where it's uh, students of Kim Adonizio this spring.
1: Oh, that's really uh, and so we're
0: gonna do an interview with her and as many of her former students as we can we can fit in a tribute. So that'll be really fun. I'm a, I'm a huge yeah, fan of hers, be... too. So that was an excuse yeah. to, to get her in one of the issues because she hasn't sent anything yet. Um, yeah. Um, anyway, do you want to read a few more to, to close us out? I know it goes by so fast, but we're already croaching up on seven o'clock.
1: No i I no, I feel like we've been here for a while Sam I, <laughs> okay. I, I, I don't know. I'm sure I've lost some people along the way. Oh, not at all we
0: have we have the same number of people now as we started with, and I feel like I could wow. do this all night like I uh, you know I know we have wow. to we have to end it sometime, but just great poetry uh, carries the moment and I'm really looking forward to listening to all this over again. I always take my dog for a long walk every night and uh, I'm gonna pop this on the podcast and listen as I go so I can hear it again. Uh, but but thanks wow, so much. Thank you. Let's uh, uh, let's hear maybe like two more poems to close it out. Is that, big, is okay. that good?
1: That sounds great. Great. You know, I'll I'll read um, a poem that a lot of people seem to like. It's a prose poem, which I'm writing a lot more of these days. Uh, it's a prose poem called "Letter to My Son," and uh, it's in the new book uh, "Sunbathing." It's on page ninety-two. So, in some of the other poems, I don't know if I've if I've read them tonight. I've I've forgotten, but um, my mother did have dementia, and um, it was a struggle at the end with her, and my grandparents too. So I always back in my head, well, it's only a matter of time until my keys are in the refrigerator, or goodness knows what else. Um, so I wrote this post poem called letter to my son. Dementia runs in the family. So if I can't think of a name or a place, a moment everyone else can vividly recall, I feel afraid, useless, ashamed. You see, I don't want anyone to carry me into another room so I can get a view of a tree or remind me what a tree is. Or tell me what I'm sipping from is called a straw. I've seen it all before. My grandfather didn't know he was eating a banana, only that someone had to peel it for him. And that thing, that peel, had to be thrown away. I'm not saying it's certain I will have dementia. But if I do, please know this. I won't be mad if you don't take care of me. I won't even know that you're not. Tell me everything's okay and I will believe you. Tell me there's a bird on a branch outside my window, even if there is no window, and I will imagine he's singing to me. Once when a storm was coming, my mother looked up at the sky, told me God was punching the clouds to make the rain pour out. She never even believed in God. The point is this. I may not know exactly who you are when you come to visit. I may be confused. But when I hold your hand, it will all come back in waves, rocking you in my arms when you were a baby, your little seltzer voice, my heart flooding my body with joy every moment you jumped into my bed. I will not be angry like some people with dementia can get. I've never been good at angry. I will not peel the yellow paper off the wall or bite my caregiver. Play a few rounds of blackjack with me. You deal. I will smile each time I get a picture card. Tell me I've hit 21, even if I bust. Use real chips, have party drinks with ice that clinks, a cocktail napkin with which... To dab my lips. So um, I think that resonates with a lot of people, uh, and there you go. Uh, in my in my book, as I was touring, I've just came just come back from. Reading a lot of poems in a lot of places. Um, I have a little note after that poem that says, immediately go to page 76 and read Shoplifting uh, because it's funny. And I think people like to have a funny poem to end with. What do you think? Yeah,
0: I think so too.
1: <laughs> so um, this poem is called Shoplifting, and it's another, another way poems are made by fantasy and by thinking about doing something that you'll never do and writing a poem about it. Shoplifting. Uh, It's on page 76 of the book. The guard at CVS is having a conversation with himself, using his hands to punctuate answers to imaginary questions. This might be a good time to pocket the lip gloss while he's so involved in making his point. I nod at him, how's it going, but he's too absorbed, talking to no one. At this rate, I could steal more than just the gloss, so I go for the small but expensive moisturizer, the one they usually keep locked up behind the glass. I wonder if it's less greasy than the one I use at home, wonder if it would make my skin more dewy and youthful. The guard loves whomever he's not talking to. I grab the cream, stick it in my purse. I have money, just want some excitement. Haven't stolen anything since junior high. My heart doesn't race like it did back then, not getting that energy-high, rosy-cheeked thrill. Maybe I should up the stakes and try stealing something that can't be concealed. What about that pink chaise lounge? I check for a censor. Nothing. Not even a price tag. This is my moment. I walk past the guard, still entranced with the voices in his head. I'm embarrassed to say it was easy. I often wonder about the guard when I lie in my chair in my backyard, where I've confined myself for the rest of my life, my skin glowing. There you go. Well, thanks so
0: much, Kim. Um, beautiful poems. Um, just to, to give you a little feedback about about the poem about your mother, Kim Tidro says, I love this poem in all capital letters. Uh, Michelle Lay says, wow, love that. Um, e. Puerta says, I could hear a lot of that in a stage play. And Vincent Quatroce says, thanks for that, going in the same vein as my mom. Which is kind of what, what poetry is really all about, is um, – sharing those experiences with each other it's a way of learning and exchanging um, our worldview right so, so
1: it is yeah it is yeah
0: thanks so much for sharing that with everybody
1: oh well thank you Tim thank you for everything you do with rattle by the way oh
0: it's my pleasure I just have fun so
1: <laughs> well you you inspire a lot of people and you publish so many people and you care so deeply about it and uh, it's that's really special.
0: Well, well, thanks so much. It's my pleasure. Um, and, and once again, we were looking at uh, at Kim Dower's book, Sunbathing on Tyrone Power's grave, which is just out from Red Hen Press. Uh, you can pick it up where all fine books are sold, um, especially uh, from Red Hen Press. Redhen.org is their website, so check that out uh, if you get a chance, and if you liked what you hear, and check out Kim's um, older books, too, because she, she has four really great books that are all very, you know, in a similar kind of style and sort of experience of this book too so um yeah thanks so much kim and uh well i'll talk to you soon i'll see you at the rightwood literary festival in just a couple of weeks actually
1: yeah yeah i will be there
0: yeah well really looking forward to it uh if you're in la you can see kim reed live there on sunday september 29th um her workshops though are already full i think Well, your afternoon one has a few spots left but your dreaming and writing workshop is sold out um so if you go to rightwoodlitfest.com Uh, You can see all the information about Kim reading that weekend up in Wrightwood for those close enough to, to uh, the mountains of of Southern California to uh, get there. Um, Anyway, thanks a lot, Kim. And I will see you very soon.
1: Thank you, Tim. Take care.
0: Bye.
1: Bye.
0: Yes. That was Kim Dower. Uh, Thanks so much, Kim. I just love her poetry. Can't wait to, like I said, I can't wait to listen to those again as I uh, take the dog for a walk. Um, Let's see. So, so we have two people, um, Emilio Puerta, who is commenting on the chat, and also Michelle Parks. Both want to call in on the Skype. I'm going to start though with uh, some of our open mics because uh, just to get there's a, there's about a 30 second delay uh, between the stream and um, between the stream and what I'm actually saying. So so I just want to let you know, be ready, and I'll give you a call in just a little bit. Um, Emilio Porta and Michelle Parks. But first we'll start off uh, with some open mics. We'll do two open mics then we'll do two Skypes. I think that's how we're going to do it right now. And um, So the first poem we're going to look at, this is Schrodinger's Mouse by Jonathan Humble. And uh, we meant to read this last week, but we ran out of time or I messed it up or something. Stuff always happens. So uh, here we go. This is Jonathan Humble, and about Jonathan, um, he's a deputy head teacher in Cumbria, United Kingdom, with a poetry with a collection of light poetry called *My Camel's Name Is Brian*, published by TMB Books. And about this, he says, "Here's a poem based on a problem we have with mice feasting on our raspberries. I'm a bit squeamish, so we've tried a, a tilt trap. Trouble is, the mice weigh very little, and when the trap has triggered." and you're carrying it a mile or so to release it into the wild, you're never really sure that there is something inside. And so here, it's kind of a funny, funny way to start a poem. Here is, uh, here is Jonathan Humble reading Schrodinger's Mouse.
3: Schrodinger's Mouse. Your love of my raspberries has resulted in this late evening walk in Headtorch. The hedges of hazel and blackthorn, far enough from home to foil ideas of a return. Aware of owls ripping through moonlight, I kneel in damp fescue and sedge, clutching this tilt trap of quantum uncertainty. Mouse or no mouse, that's the question. The trap gate opens, you see me for the first time, holding the moment in beads of black's polished glass, small body wedged, feet splayed, heart racing, a quiver of tense anticipating whiskers. And in that instant, in that brief connection, my doubts bubble. This is a good deed, isn't it? This forced relocation. Got to be a better solution than back breaking death or slow poisoning. Although I try to convince myself, I believe you remain sceptical. I am your nightmare. The one interrupting your nightly feasting. The one separating you from your blind, deaf and hairless babies. The one from which you must flee in terror the second the black plastic touches the ground. But unlike Mr McGregor, as I stumble one mile back through Darkling Woods, soft clerk that I am, I'm hoping that the owls have an off day and secretly, despite your fruit plundering I'd quite like to see you again
0: Ah, so thanks Once again, that was uh, John Humble reading Schrodinger's Mouse Thanks so much, John Um, John Humble from Cumbria, United Kingdom and uh, as, as always, if you'd like to do these pre-recorded open mics, it's, it's late there. I think it's like 2 a.m. in the U.K. right now. So if it's too late for you to call in live, live is always preferred. It's really fun to see actual people. Well, everybody's an actual person. But I mean people who are live right here, right now, calling in to talk. But um, but if you can't because it's not the time's not right or you work that time or whatever, you can always pre-record a poem for us. Um, and you do that on uh, rattle.com slash rattlecast. You can find the, the link to submit. And uh, all you do is use Submittable like any other poetry submission, except you um, upload an MP3 and the text of the poem so that um, I can show it on screen while you're reading and you don't have to look at my face as uh, as the poem's going on. Um, let's see. So next up, we have the other poet that we missed. We didn't get time to do last week. And um, this poem is bilingual. And I think, I think if I remember right, this is by... Um, Sarah Simon and um if I remember right she has it was a week ago but I think she has uh, she reads this in Spanish and then she has the text translation but doesn't read that so I think I will pause and read that for you so you can hear the Spanish and then hear the translation which will be um really fun and interesting I think it's great to hear bilingual poems on the on this podcast show um as long as we have the translation too and uh, Sarah Simon is a New Yorker at Seoul, living and teaching English between Ecuador and Uruguay. She published her first book, Core Collection Poems About Eating Disorders, with Adelaide Books in 2019. And here she is with uh, Dara luz a Una Soledad.
4: Dara luz, a Una Soledad A una hija mía que se llama así Porque hoy día aprendí otra vez Las dos razones de dar a una chiquedina en sus primeros respires, respiros de vida, esta supuesta maldición.
0: I will give light birth to a soledad to a daughter of mine whose name is so, because today I learned again the two reasons to give a little girl in her first breaths of life this supposed curse.
4: Ella, ella no vale la pena, la soledad, amiga mía, que debajo su sol se quema, que dentro de su casa no hay nadie más.
0: She's just not worth it. Loneliness, my friend, her sun burns, there is no one inside of her house.
4: Y cómo puede ser que me sienta sola yo, en frente de una mesa llena con gente, rodeada por gente, sintiéndome sola, como si estuviera la única allí para disfrutar de la comida.
0: And how can it be that I feel so lonely in front of a table full of people, surrounded by people, feeling alone, as if I were the only one there to enjoy the food?
4: De nuevo se me ocurrió que su raíz aparece y crece en la casa del de espantoso marvado miedo de tenerla. Así, temiéndola, empiezas a ser rebelde, empiezas a rechazar todo lo que la gente te llame.
0: I learned again. It occurred to me that its root appears and grows in the house of the haunting. Evil fear of being it. Like that, fearing it, you start to become rebellious. You start to reject whatever people seem to want to call you.
4: Empiezas a ponerse más flaca, más linda, más lo que sea. Para que la gente te ame.
0: You start to get skinny, pretty, more of whatever, so that people love you.
4: Pero en este lío desesperado, lo que hagas la perpetúa, lo que haces por rechazar la comida le da de comer.
0: But in, this mess, Quizás
4: esta es la contra-
0: but in this desperate mess, precisely what you do to avoid her perpetuates her, what you do to reject food feeds her.
4: Comer. Quizás esta es la contradicción más hermosa, que no te das de comer para evitarla, mientras le das de comer a ella, tu mente misma, tu cuerpo, tu sol, your soul brillante, y como una chica, una chiquilina en el jardín.
0: Maybe this is the most beautiful contradiction that you do not feed yourself to avoid her while giving her everything, your mind, your body, your sun, your soul shining. And like a girl, a little girl in the garden,
4: Siempre la vas a temer mientras estás rodeada por risas. Siempre vas a temer a ella como en el jardín.
0: You're always going to fear her while you're surrounded by laughter. You're always going to fear her like in the garden.
4: y como ya se me fue mi sol le voy a dar a mi hija el nombre de ella uno mayormente por su apodo del sol lindo para que ella mi alma tenga un lugar para descansar y crecer mientras la hija mía siempre mantenga su calor
0: and since my soul has already gone i'll give my daughter her name one mostly for her nickname, soul, so that she, my soul, has a place to rest and grow while my daughter always maintains her heat.
4: Cursi, ya sé. Dos. Pero también para que cuando se convierta en rebelde, porque la hija mía va a ser rebelde, es indudable, Luce contra ella, ella una luz ya vista dicha, dada, sabida desde sus primeros respiros, y que no sea presentada con ella, como fue yo, la amenaza mía, ensombrecida, que salió entre susurros oscurecidos, desde bocas que ni conocen, que ni ninguna vez van a conocer, a la profundidad con que muerden sus muelas, y hacen de ella una comida, una delicadeza,
0: But so that when she becomes rebellious, because my daughter will be a rebel, there's no doubt she'll fight against her lowliness, a light already seen, said, given, known, from her first breaths and isn't introduced to her like I was, the shadow of a threat, leaking light between whispers, contours, darkness, mouths that will never meet the deep of their teeth, making a food a delicacy.
4: Asia, Quien de repente se muera, cuando por fin tenga un lugar, de nombrar y tener puesto, lado a lado, su miedo más profundo y los rayos con que debería haber brillado.
0: She who suddenly dies when finally she finds a place to name and lie, side by side, her deepest fear and the rays with which she always should have shined. So so once again, that was uh, uh, Sarah Simon reading a long poem um, in Spanish, and, and then she provided the translation, which I was reading myself. Hope you enjoyed that. That was really fun and interesting. And, and you see she included a whole bunch of photos, too. So if you're only listening, you might want to come in and watch the stream and and, and see the uh, visual presentation too. Um, thanks so much for that, Sarah. That uh, was great, great contribution to the show. Um, okay, so let's try a couple Skypes. We're going to find Emilio Puerta. Uh, it's going to take a few seconds uh, to give him a call, but I'm calling him right now. Uh, let's see, is his volume up? Yep, his volume's there. And uh, we have Emilio, Emilio Puerta. Thanks so much for calling in, Amelia. Everybody can see you and hear you now.
5: Awesome. And me though, but okay um, so I want to read um something that I wrote recently like around last year that's also bilingual mm-hmm. um but i I come from from Canada and um and some my name I, I I am of Latin descent, so I do speak Spanish too, but this is actually a French poem because one of my favorite artists is um is French is um is Françoise Hardy who's a '60s era songstress still kicking around as far as my research goes, and this is my homage poem to her because just I, I I'm gonna I'm gonna read it in French and then do my translation of it. But without further ado, it's it called so this is, so you're gonna hear references to her songs that I encourage everyone to actually go listen to because they are phenomenal.
0: That's awesome. Thanks so much. But
5: this is. This is my poem with using her, using references to her work, and then I'll read the translation. It's called Seul par les rues. Les vrais amis souvent viennent des nuages, dans la pluie descendent l'endorsant. Mais sans une place au fond de notre cœur, tu mouais, tu parles, ils tourneront la page. On ne sait pas comment bien dire adieu ou ce que ça veut dire. Aimé vraiment. On n'est que comme tant d'autres dans le monde qui planent avec des réflexes malheureux. Donc, là mon peine, on va sur parler les rues, comme on le cœur a jeté à tu vent. Et à tu prix, voulons-nous plus rien pour de nouveau sentir les plaisirs doux. Oh, oh, chérie, oui, c'est le temps d'amour qu'on cherche sans fin. Car on se toujours. And all that translates kind of to. True friends have come so often from the clouds, descending in a dance within the rain. But with no place in our congenial heart, quite mute, quite pale, they'll vanish in the crowds. We know not how to rightly say goodbye or what it means to love and love in vain. We're merely, as each li- we're merely as each living soul on earth who lives as though forever high and dry. With troubled souls, we roam the streets alone for having cast our heart into the drain. And at all costs, we want them to return, to feel once more those pleasures we had known. Oh, oh, my dear, yes, we for love e'er search, for we e'er leave each other in the lurk.
0: Emilio Puerta, thanks so much. Uh, I forgot to ask, where, you're, where are you calling from?
5: I'm calling from Canada. I'm from Toronto, Canada.
0: Ah, Toronto, Canada. Okay. Well, great. Well, thanks so much for calling in. It was, yeah, really great. I never thought I'd have uh, three different languages on the show today. That's really cool. <laughs>
5: <laughs> I actually write in three different languages. So, yeah. And, they're, and they all get me found. So I was reading from my, my um, it's not really a blog, but it's a page that I have on writerscafe.org. Mm-hmm. If you, if you want to read the rest of my work, anyone wants to read the rest of my work, I'm there under Emmy Poemi, Emi Poemi, E M I Poemi, uh-huh. and you find that poem as well on it.
0: Awesome. Well, I hope people do. Thanks so much for calling. I hope you call in again.
5: Well, I'm definitely planning to. Thank you so much.
0: Awesome. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Good to see you. <laughs> okay. Uh, now we are going to. Uh, let's do the next open mic poem. I think we have a. We really have an international uh, theme today, I guess. This is Soren James and um you find his poem okay so uh soren james is a writer and visual artist who creates himself on a daily basis from the materials at his disposal continuing to do so in an upbeat manner until one day he will sumptuously throw his drained materials aside and resume stillness without asking why more of his work can be seen at sorenjames.wordpress.com and you might remember that name i he we, uh, he was the artist in the ekphrastic challenge at, at some point i'm not sure exactly when It's cool to see uh, Soren James here And uh, here he is reading Rubber Bones
3: I'm uh, Soren James from London And this is a short humorous poem That was first published in Eye to the Telescope in 2017 It's called Rubber Bones The invention of the rubber bone for dogs At the time was not deemed significant It lay on a pile of human invention, largely ignored, even by dogs. 50,000 years later, rediscovered in a seam of synthetic debris, these bones finally found a place in the human narrative, when this stratum of prehistory was labelled the rubber bone age. (laughs)
0: Yeah, that was pretty humorous, I have to give you that. Thanks so much. That was Soren James again from London. Uh, reading his poem Rubber Bones uh, and that was originally published in Eye to the Telescope in 2017. Uh let's give sh another try for a a live uh Skype open mic. We'll give Michelle Parks a call again. Michelle's been on the uh open mic a few times. Let's ring her up. Up oh, here she comes. There hey she me. is. Yeah, very small and Hi. very dark, but hello Michelle. Thanks so much for calling in. And you're in South Carolina, right? So um
2: I am, yeah.
0: Yeah, so that hurricane's bearing down on you, isn't it?
2: It's coming pretty close, apparently, according to the maps, but we're near Charleston and we're just hunkering down. We have mm-hmm. loads of water and supplies. If anybody wants to come join me here, <laughs> I am swimming in water, apparently. I go yeah. sweet. Well, good but luck. It's yeah, good luck. Well, I have um, one really, really short 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 one and then if possible one that's not long but it is not as short as this one
0: yeah go ahead read two that'd be great
2: and before you before you do let mic. me
0: just say uh, to anybody else there's still room to read on the open mic if you want to call in like Michelle's doing right now just send a uh, quick chat message to me at rattle poetry I'll see your message I'll reply that you're going to be on and then I will call you when the timing is right okay go ahead sorry about that Michelle
2: oh that's okay this is nail biting. I dreamt I found hundreds of clippers, all that I've lost plus more. I worried over this as a hangnail. I worry of the skin stretched so, so tight, each cut a birthright. I worry of the clippings on the floor as my son sweeps them up with love and frustration. at a mother so ill she can't control her feelings and cries over clippers lost to the world. Thanks, Michelle. The second is called Babylon. Chalkboards terrify me. Such lack of permanence. Ideas erased. Equations forgotten. Like my third grade teacher, what was her name? Who taught me to vision as the cells in her body courted cancer, multiplying disease. She coughed up chalk. Or was it asbestos that caused her to fade? Although chalkboards and paper so easily burned, heat, fuel, oxygen, nothing but ashes, just like my Aunt Edna, who early in life chose cremation over an earthly womb. I despise cities with people like ants, rushing, ranting, falling apart as highways collapse, buildings explode in the name of religion, of a deaf, mad god, who gives teachers cancer, who burns ants alive, who demands sacrifice of hearts and hope as we dare to rise too close to heaven, attempting to touch the sky. Well, thanks so much, Michelle. Another beautiful poem, and I love that you
0: uh, you memorize it too. You could tell that you were uh, had it memorized and not reading from the screen.
2: Um, yeah i try it's harder now these days but um yeah i, I definitely prefer spoken word and and being able to,
0: mm-hmm.
2: to go into a room full of people which is hard for me to do now so i love this option i think you're awesome for doing this so thank well, you very much
0: well thanks so much for calling in i think you're our, refer- our first repeat caller in and uh, it's really great to to hear from you a couple times now thanks so much for calling and stay safe and dry this week okay
2: Oh yes, absolutely. <laughs> okay.
0: Well, I'll talk to you soon See you in, in a couple of weeks or next week or something.
2: Okay. Okay.
0: Thank you. Bye. Ah, so once again, that was Michelle Parks. Thanks so much, Michelle, for for joining in again. Um, let me just clear this out. Um, okay. So if you if you want to call in, I still have some room. I think we're always going to give the Skypes priority, so the uh, pre-recorded poems won't we won't might not get through everybody. Uh, but if you want to call in on Skype, we'll definitely call in Skype because I love seeing people live. Um, But let's go to another uh, pre-recorded open mic. What do we have next? And I guess I have no idea what these are, which is kind of the fun of it. It's almost like reading submissions. Um, I have no idea what's coming. I kind of copied and pasted what I needed to do to do this um, and and sort of adjusted the volume so I know things exist, but that's about all I know. Um, Now, this poem here is by Anthony Murphy, and um, another poet from uh, the UK. This is Anthony C Murphy from Lanch- Lancashire, England, but he lives in Yon- in Yonkers, New York now. Um, he'd written an il- he has a written an illustrated children's book, "Liberty Takes a Break," and the novel's "Shiftless." So check those out. Um, and he was nominated for the Pushcart Prize for this poem, "The Leatherman," which appeared in the Westchester Review. It's based on a true character who used to camp on foot around upper New York in the late 1800s. And you can check that out just by typing Leatherman, uh, it's the vagabond, into Wikipedia. So uh, here is his poem, The Leatherman.
6: The Leatherman by Anthony Murphy On the wind, wet cowhide, old tokes and sweat Before we heard that rattle breath Once every moon then his creek into our village. Leave be, he's doing his thing, she would say, mother-wise and caring, the soft lad. We laughed anyway and threw rotten crops that bounced off that stiff old steer suit. He would only catch the bread or tobacco our parents could heft. One fall, Jack's nose nearly caught the waft of his cane. We kept our heads after that. Studied his circus instead, slow and loopy, like the days were then. We knew he slept as a bear, in caves cold with fire, or kept to the glades in the off-pace of summer, and that he had no tongue, yet could talk to the world that he walked. After the last war, when only some came running back, he was a giant in our brains. We wondered at his freedom. Then one month, the vagabond didn't appear, not the smell, nor the creak, nor the need. And that was all for his adventure. But we were out of our gate with provisions at any hint, any whiff of smoke and leather.
0: So once again, that was Anthony Murphy from Yonkers, New York, reading his poem, The Leatherman. Thanks so much, Anthony Murphy, for reading that. Well, I think we'll do one more open mic poem and we'll save the rest for next week. Uh, let's see what's up next. I have no idea. It's like a mystery prize every time. So this is Nicole Jenkins from Ormond Beach, Florida. So I hopefully uh, Nicole Jenkins is doing okay with this hurricane too. Um, let's see, what did she say? She's uh, Nicole Jenkins from Ormond Beach, Florida says, Writing poetry is a release for me. I feel like I can be free and myself when I write. And that's the the best reason to write, I think. Um, So here she is, uh, Nicole Jenkins.
7: Hi, my name is Nicole Jenkins. I'm an LPN and I kind of dibble and dabble in poetry. Um, I've been writing poetry since, I would say since high school and I wrote through college. Um, I've submitted, I think, one of my poems before, but it was not published, um this poem is called ode to a lost love and i want to share it with you ode to a lost love trying to keep on a happy face trying not to go to that useless place tears held back behind a painted mask each now day now feels like a task Joy does not have the same name. Now finding joy is a never-ending game. Reflections of your face flash through my mind, and then I remember that you were unkind. Damn those memories that I am left to bear. Damn all those feelings we used to share. You were my angel, but it was all a disguise. I did not see you coming. You took me by surprise. You played with and twisted my heart. You made it harder to make a new start. I'm a fragment of the woman I used to be, but now it's time for me to become the better me I'm supposed to be.
0: Well, thanks once again. That was Nicole Jenkins from Ormond Beach, Florida, reading Ode to a Lost Love. Thanks so much for for, uh, recording that and sending it in, Nicole. And I love, I just should mention, I love the way that, that Nicole introduced the poem, said where she was from and all that stuff. So it feels like she's here with us, even though she can't be here with us right at the moment. Um, so please do that if you send in the pre-recorded open mics. It's always nice to sort of get that feel and introduce the poem a little bit. Maybe we should do one more poem, actually. Um, looking at the clock, I think we have time. I'm trying to make these an hour and a half. So let's do one more. Um, it's a longer one. This is, uh, Melinda Jane, the Poet MJ. And, um, here we go. Um... Let's see. Melinda Jane, the poet MJ, is from Mount Gambier, Alabama. She's a writer, spoken word artist, with explorations and soundscapes, installation art, improv music, and the performing arts. Um, she performs at fringe galleries, and she's been published a bunch of places. And uh, here's her poem,
8: Airlines. Arlene's, a poem written and performed by Melinda Jane, the poet MJ. Where does this fable belong? It was cursed like Eve and Adam, Eden never held. This story begins. A hunter in a forest, chopping wood, attacked by a werewolf, succeeded, cut off the front paw. A trophy, the hunter puts the paw in a sack, and meets a nobleman on the road. The hunter shares his tale, pulls out the werewolf's paw, but out came a lady's hand. Horrified, the hunter drops the lady's hand. The nobleman recognises the ring on the slender Celtic hand, rides back to his castle, barges through his wife's chamber. Arlene's right hand is pressed, under her apron. Pull out your hand, the nobleman bellows. Arlene's right arm, bleeding, reveals a stump. The nobleman accuses his wife of witchcraft, being a werewolf. He hands her over to the Inquisition. They burn Arlene at the stake, all that... Fresh, crisp flesh sent incense up to heaven. Arlene's screams were purifying prayers. A vow. I can feel this woman tugging at me through time, pulling me past the legend of the feminine wiles. Symbolic burning of men who read this woman wrong, Blame and battle of the sexes, pulling apart the flesh, a MRI of the soul, layer after layer, revealing volatility, you, the us in you, whoever dreams their fantasies on you, precipice upon precipice, falling in love with the notion, century after century, crawling past The pubescent girl to full moon-lusted, fertile womanhood Lost the point, lost the compass of you, Arlene Epilogue They came knocking, knocking at her gate The hunters came knocking, knocking at her gate The witch-hunt, the inquisition her burning, burning the werewolves howled your hijab, which this is your stake,
0: wow, so once again, that was uh that was Melinda Jane, the poet m j from Mount Gambier, Alabama, and the poem was uh not airline but our lines. Uh, as you can see, I do not read these ahead of time, so I, I don't even know what what's coming up. So um, that was beautiful reading. It, it's almost like a uh, I don't know Edgar Allan Poe modernized or something. That was really cool. Um, so so that's going to be it for our show today. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope you enjoyed Kim Dower. Once again, we were looking at her book. Um, sunbathing on Tyrone Power's grave. She also has three other books all from Red Hen Press which are all excellent. I'd recommend all four of them if you love uh if you liked hearing what you you heard today from Kim Dower. And um let's see. Next up, we are going to have Cat Lehman, uh, another poet from issue number 64, the summer issue. She had an Instagram poet or Instagram poem in uh in the tribute section of Rental number sixty four. If you want to find her on Instagram or Twitter, it's Songs of Cat, and uh, she has a new book out called *Stumbling Toward Happiness*, which we're going to be reading. I think we'll probably talk a little bit about happiness too. That sounds like an interesting subject. So, um, so that's all for tonight. Hope you enjoyed this reading. Do please uh, click the like button, share this with your friends, let them know we're doing this. Uh, it's a lot of fun for me. We're going to be doing it every Tuesday night. Uh, we have a whole slate of poets lined up. I have people scheduled all the way into March next year now. Uh, Ellen Bass is going to come March 17th. That's how far out I have some people scheduled. So we have great poets coming up. Uh, if you enjoyed this, if you enjoyed Kim, please click the like button. Like I said, please subscribe, click the bell so you get notifications. And uh, follow Rattle's Facebook page to know what's coming up. And call in on Skype. Make sure you get Skype, learn how to use it, or uh, send a poem ahead of time. And we'll see you next week with Kat Layman. Thanks so much.